Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and Christian living. Crossroads is part of the media ministry at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Get to know us by visiting us online at fapc.org. Hi, I'm Jamie Staley, and I am the Director of Christian Education at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. This Lenten season, we are spending time talking about spiritual practices. And joining me today is Jeff Chu, who is a writer, reporter, and editor, um, the author of Does Jesus Really Love Me? A Gay Christian's Pilgrimage in Search of God in America. Uh, Jeff has uh, been serving as a teacher in residence at Central Reformed Church in Grand Rapids most recently. Um, and as it is uh, full of snow here in the Northeast in New York, how is the weather out there, Jeff? Is, are you guys, Michigan seems to get more snow than us usually. I think we're about the same. It's pretty snowy outside right now, but okay. uh, I try to stay inside. <laughs> That's a good plan for Michigan at this time of year. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for joining me today, Jeff. Um, our topic for this month is the spiritual practice of hospitality. And often when I think of hospitality, I think of hosting dinner parties or volunteering to serve at coffee hour at church. But the word hospitality is so much bigger than that. What can you tell us about what the Bible says about hospitality? So I think I would start with the English word itself. Um, the word hospitality, it's an interesting one. Uh, it comes from the Latin word hospice, which can mean host, but it also means stranger or alien or guest. Uh, and it's the same root word that gives us hotel and hospice and hospital and it's all about how you treat other people. Um, when I learned that hospice meant stranger, it kind of reframed hospitality for me. Because so often we think of hospitality as how we treat people we like. So what about people we don't like? Uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, the injunction to welcome the stranger is absolutely clear. In Leviticus, it says, when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. But then it goes even farther than that. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. And then scripture reminds the Hebrews that they weren't treated that way in Egypt. Hmm. In the context of our Christian faith, I think it's also helpful to remember the Eastern roots of the religion. Christian hospitality derives from a culture that's very different from modern American culture. So there were responsibilities that any host would have, responsibilities that go beyond what it means to host in the majority culture of the U.S. So this is a matter of honor. It's a way of treating strangers who come among you with goodness and welcome, providing for whatever needs they have. And that means food and drink and shelter and rest. And our scriptures are pretty clear that even if we sometimes don't want to deal with the inconvenient expectations that other people, strangers, might have, uh, it's our job as hosts. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus includes welcoming the stranger alongside feeding the hungry and giving the giving water to the thirsty and caring for the sick and visiting captives. And this is where it gets a little tricky when it comes to dinner parties and church coffee hour, because these things often are really not that hospitable in the biblical sense of the word. Hmm. I know that when I have dinner parties, sometimes I focus more on the food and the drink and not enough on the people and what they need. It's hmm. about what I want to serve, right? Yeah. And they're typically about gatherings of people I actually like. And hospitality has to go beyond that. Over and over, we see Jesus sitting down with very mixed company. Hmm. And then when it comes to coffee hour, well, I think that's one of the least hospitable environments for a lot of us, especially introverts. I have yet to find a church that really does coffee hour well for visitors. In other words, strangers. Mm. I don't even know what that would look like. Could it be something that spills out onto the street that brings good news and welcome outside the doors of the church? What does it mean to extend a sense of belonging to people who feel like they shouldn't belong? I love that. That's, uh, that is a really good challenge um, for our churches, I think. Because uh, you're exactly right. Uh, if coffee hour is is a very in thing, in insider thing. Hmm. Um, what are some places that you or times that you have seen or experienced true hospitality? So let me give you two examples. Uh, some years ago, I was at a terrifying denominational gathering where <laughs> we were debating the place of LGBTQ hmm. people in the church. And I wouldn't wish that kind of experience on my worst enemy. Uh, I was one of the few out queer people in the room. And I knew a couple of the other folks there, but not many. Um, It was a really strange experience to be talked about by so many straight people who acted Mm. as if they knew something about the queer experience. Hmm. Yet it was clear that the queer voices in the room, few as they were, weren't being heard. Mm. So on the last day of this endless gathering, um, the queers had this mini summit because we realized that not a single queer person had shared their story with the whole gathering over the course of those days, even as straight person after straight person had lectured and preached and talked and taught. And there was basically like a biblical drawing of lots and I drew the short straw. So I ended up sharing a very personal testimony in front of an audience that for the most part was hostile to my belonging. Mm. And right after I got off the stage, I was physically shaking and I basically stumbled my way to the closest possible chair. And a young pastor whom I just met, who I knew to be straight and white and more conservative than I am, came and he just sat next to me and he leaned his shoulder into mine and we just sat in silence, and what I interpreted to be solidarity. Hmm. Uh, He made space for whatever uh, I was feeling. And I give you that story because I want to emphasize that hospitality isn't just or even primarily about food or drink or anything tangible. It's about making space, and it's about creating the sense of belonging. Um, Then a couple years ago, I lost a very close friend unexpectedly, and I had to help organize the wake and lead the funeral service, and it was a lot. And in the aftermath of that, I couldn't go home because I was was expected at another denominational gathering. Hmm. 
But I had this awkward couple of days in between, so I went to stay with friends. And even though we're pretty close, I obviously would have preferred to be at home in my own bed to continue the grieving and to recuperate from the hosting. And even though I was the exact opposite of a stranger to these close friends, I I did feel like an alien. I was like this hollowed out husk of who I usually am. And one afternoon I fell asleep on their living room sofa. And when I woke up, there was a pot of tea and a small plate with dried fruit and chocolate and nuts and other little bits of goodness. And it was this gift that I didn't even know I needed. It was someone's loving anticipation and their thoughtful attention. And I think that's true hospitality. True hospitality does not wait for the guest guest to ask. Mm. It sees and it waits in expectation. Um, it anticipates. Um, and one thing you should know about the second story It was that same friend who made space for me at that denominational gathering the first time around. Oh, wow. Wow. Because hospitality often builds on itself. When you make space, it invites vulnerability. And I think beautiful things can blossom in that space over time. Mm. I love those stories. You know, I know that you are uh, friends with our very own Werner Ramirez. um, And he... um, spoke to me a little bit about the farminary. I know that is near and dear to his heart uh, at Princeton. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the Cultivate program at the farminary at Princeton Seminary? You know, some of us know a little bit about it, but for the most part, we don't. And how how do you think the practice of hospitality fits in um, with that program? So I guess I should probably explain for those who don't know what the farminary is, first of all. Um, At Princeton Seminary, there's a 21-acre farm that doubles as a classroom. I went to seminary with Warner at PTS, and the farminary is probably the most formative physical space of my entire life. Mm. Uh, Rather than just staring at a professor lecturing from a podium, you learn in the fields. You tend to the chickens, you weed, and you plant, and you harvest, and that gives so much texture to whatever you're studying, whether it's an agrarian parable from the Gospels or the spiritual landscape of our lives. Um, The members of my small group at seminary, including Werner, uh, met at the farminary. And as we were finishing up our final year, uh, we decided that we wanted to create a space in which others who were not seminarians could experience a little bit of the goodness and the freedom that we'd found on that land. So we created a five-day retreat called Cultivate where we invited a dozen people to come, all expenses paid. Each one of them was at some kind of crossroads in their life, and we just wanted to make space for them to discern. So we realized that so many retreats are only accessible to rich people, and it was really important to us that this be open to anyone, hence the all expenses paid thing. Uh Uh, We got more than 200 applications, and that was probably the hardest thing, winnowing it down to 12 people. And those folks came um, from all over the country, all different walks of life. And they worked with us in the garden and they sat by the pond and they wrote poems and they told us and one another their stories. And we fed them really, really well. Uh, We wanted them to have room to imagine, which is something all of them were struggling to do in their at-home lives. And I think it was five days of relentless hospitality. Uh, Above all, we wanted them to feel loved. 
and we wanted for strangers to become friends. That's beautiful. When you were going into that um, program, was hospitality one of the things that um, that was one of your focuses, or did you just find that being built in and and recognize it with within the time frame? Hospitality was one of our core values. It was really important as they were discerning that they felt safe and that mm-hmm. they felt loved and that they felt seen. So there were ways in which we laid the groundwork before they came. They had to fill out a little questionnaire and uh, the questionnaire asked some basic things about allergies and that sort of thing because accounting for people's differences is a part of hospitality. But we also asked them questions like, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mm. And so for dessert one night, uh, we opened the barn door and there on the tables were all of their favorite ice cream flavors. Oh, that's awesome. And they could tell each other, oh, this is mine, and compare notes. We were shocked at the prevalence of rum raisin, which is really <laughs> bizarre to me and maybe even objectionable. But that's hospitality, right? It's about their needs and desires, not mine. Um, we wanted them to feel recognized and oh. honored. Uh, another example is that there were gift bags waiting for them in their uh, hotel rooms. And one of the other things we had asked them about on their questionnaires was their favorite snacks. So even in those moments where we weren't together, where they were just like eating snacks in their hotel room as they recuperated from the day, there would be a tangible reminder that they were seen and that they were loved. Mm. Um, We really felt like it was important that the hospitality be holistic in that way and that it would feed their bodies, not just their souls. Oh, that is very beautiful. I have to tell you my um my favorite kind of ice cream is black licorice, which I can tell you is probably more j- objectionable to most people than rum raisin. <laughs> yeah, I I would probably agree with that. <laughs> it's also very hard to find. <laughs> but it's delicious for anyone that would like to try it. It's delicious. Um oh, well that is wonderful. So we um at Fifth Avenue or we have a, a practice that we do during Lent. Um, a series that we do during Lent where we do some Lenten spiritual practices and we have a group who meets about those uh, weekly um, and we are also doing some things with the um, desert father and fathers and mothers and looking at their spiritual practices and we really want to give people some tangible ways that they can um, practice these spiritual practices at home. I know I just said the word practice a whole lot in there but we're practicing um, do you have any ideas or tips or how how do you learn to make this a, a part of your life? How do you um, make this a natural uh, extension of who you are to practice hospitality towards others? I would say for most of us in American culture, it's not natural. That's mm-hmm. why we have to train. That's why it's a spiritual discipline, right? It's a choice that we have to make. I think one of the problems with how we typically do Lent now is that it's so individualistic. I think this misses one of the points of a penitential season, which is meant to draw us out from ourselves. So I guess if you're giving up wine or chocolate or black licorice ice cream, that's fine. (laughs) But how does it help you make room for God and for others? Mm. How does it refocus you on the needs and the desires of your neighbor? Um, 
one practice that I've occasionally done during Lent, yes, my husband and I will choose something to give up. But because I'm pretty introverted and have a tendency to withdraw into myself, I already, I, I've also at times added a discipline, mm-hmm. which is uh, to write a letter to a different person every day, expressing mm-hmm. gratitude for something that they've done in my life. Um, so when I first tried this, uh, the first week or two were pretty easy. I wrote a note to my husband. I wrote notes to my closest friends. And then by the third or fourth week, it, it got a little harder. You have to think a little more broadly about who you're thankful for. Mm-hmm. I ended up writing to my second grade teacher who inspired me to start writing. I wrote to a camp counselor who happened to be my first crush and who unwittingly and unknowingly embodied what it meant to be uh, an out gay man. Um, And some of these folks I hadn't been in touch with in years, even decades. But the practice got me beyond myself. And it also reminded me how much our lives are bound up with others. Um, So for other folks, perhaps there's a practice of service to strangers that could be a part of your Lenten discipline. Um, Maybe if you're a baker, there's a way you could start a Lenten ministry of cookies or bread and whatever you produce doesn't just go to people who already know that you love them. Uh, Perhaps there's a discipline of praying for someone different every day. Uh, I think prayer can be a form of hospitality too. And as I said, the whole point is to draw us out of our self-absorption and toward the cross, toward Mm -hmm. self-giving and toward sacrifice and toward love. Mm -hmm. I think during this COVID time, it seems hard to practice hospitality when we aren't with people. (laughs) Um, We aren't able to be around people. Um, I love the idea of writing, uh, of writing notes to others. Um, But, but, but the lack of personal contact feels like we aren't as able to be as hospitable, I guess. When you think about this time that we're in, these this COVID time that we're in, when we aren't able to be around others, does that affect how we are hospitable to others? So I think part of our problem is expectations, right? My mom immigrated from Hong Kong to the U.S. in 1971, and she did not see her family again in Hong Kong for over 10 years. Mm the kind of contact that we've become accustomed to is a modern luxury, Mm. especially given that so many of us live far apart from people we love. Yeah. We have so many tools and resources available at our disposal. Mm. So yes, it has been a deep grief for me that we can't just live in the comfortable way that we're used to living, Mm -hmm. but it's, but also we have the resources to be so creative and so imaginative and to be in contact with folks in ways that weren't even possible 10, 20 or 30 years ago. Mm. So I guess I don't entirely buy the argument that we're uniquely deprived in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Hospitality can be texting someone you haven't texted in a really long time and saying, I don't expect a reply. I just wanted you to know that I'm here. Mm. Um, hospita- hospitality can come in the form of an email. It can come in the form of a small trinket 
that you got in some 99 cent store in Chinatown, (laughs) but that would bring joy to someone who would enjoy an unexpected gift in the mail. Uh, Amazon is there (laughs) and probably too many of us overuse our Prime accounts. There are so many different ways to be hospitable. Mm. Um, I just think we have to be disciplined about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the other thing I think about when I think about hospitality in recent, you know, in the last couple of months, um, I think that uh, over and over again um, with the election and with everything that has gone on recently, people um, struggle with what it means to be hospitable to those who they consider in disagreement with them or those who they consider to be on the other side. Um, and they, they struggle with what that would look like to be hospitable to those that they disagree strongly with. And, and it, you know, to go back to your initial story um, of sitting on that bench, um, what what would you say to, to people who, who really are struggling um, with the idea of hospitality um, to those who they consider to be on the other side of some of these big issues that have been coming up with um, recently? One of the most annoying things that Jesus says is love your enemies. Yeah. It is deeply frustrating. <laughs> it is counterintuitive. And it's hard. I come from a family that is theologically much more conservative than I am. And we typically don't talk about partisan politics, but I would guess that a lot of my relatives did not vote the way that I vote. And people have challenged me on this. How can you be in relationship with these folks? Yeah. If we genuinely believe what those of us in the reformed tradition, which includes your denomination, Mm -hmm. the Presbyterians, and mine, which is Reformed folks, if we believe in grace, if we believe in a love that transcends fear, there has to be room. There has to be room for folks who we would consider to be enemies, who we would consider to be opposed to us, um, even folks who don't fully recognize our humanity. And the question that I ask of folks who say, well, I can't sit down with someone who believes X or Y, or I can't be in relationship with someone who believes X or Y, is how much power are you going to give that person to define Mm. your humanity? Mm. When we allegedly believe that God is sufficient, if I believe that God doesn't judge me for my sexuality and in fact embraces and celebrates me for who I am and how I love, what power am I going to give to someone who disagrees with that mm. to control my life? I think we unwittingly give folks a lot more power than they deserve. And that doesn't fit with my understanding of the hierarchy of the world. God is the one who has the power to define that. And in that sense, it's my obligation and my duty and even my privilege to sit down with people who disagree with me. 
I want to embody the kind of love that they would not expect to find from someone that they've defined based on what they see to be sin. Subvert their expectations. Be what they don't expect. Show up as grace when they expect hostility. I think that is an incredibly powerful testimony and a really honestly subversive way of exercising hospitality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, you're right. It's, it's almost easier to say that you're just not going to speak to them or you're just going to cut them out um, than to show them this hospitality. Um, that's... And look, I want to be clear. I'm not saying put yourself in abusive situations yes. <laughs> or submit yourself to harm. Mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm. legitimate situations where you have to extricate yourself because yes. it's not safe. Yes. And I hope people hear that here. <laughs> but one of the things that we've done often is we mistake discomfort for danger. Hmm. They're not the same thing. Just because someone makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean you're actually in danger and you have to have the level-headedness and also a sense of your own belovedness to to recognize what is truly dangerous and what is just uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. Those are important distinctions. Huh, interesting. I like that. I guess in closing, the thing I would say is that hospitality is really an outgrowth of loving your neighbor as you would love yourself, Hmm. right? And that doesn't mean like, oh, I love chocolate chip cookies, so I'm going to inflict my chocolate chip cookies on everyone, even if they don't (laughs) like it, right? My black licorice ice cream. (laughs) It means honoring other people as you would want to be honored. It means taking into account their needs and their desires as you would like that done for you. That's what hospitality is. It's making room for the other. And... It's something that takes a lot of practice. Hmm. Yeah. I do. I think this, thank you for this conversation, Jeff. I I think that this will give some people some nuggets of um, ideas of ways that they can build this practice into their lives. Um, It's, and it's not just something hopefully that they think about during Lent, that we think about during Lent, because it's obviously a lifetime practice um, that, that we can, that we can continue to work on. Next month, um, we are actually going to be talking about gratitude, the practice of gratitude. Uh, So I was excited that you brought up uh, those writing notes because that is something um, that I think uh, will be really interesting to continue our uh, Lenten spiritual practices next month, talking about the practice of gratitude um, and what that means for us. So thank you again, Jeff, for joining me today. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you, Jamie. All right. Thank you for listening to Crossroads. Managing Editor, Jamie Staley. And Editors, Vashina Brisbane, Kelly Pacayo, and Emily Dombroff.